Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I speak with illustrator Sam Dorazio. Enjoy. What's up? Nothing. How's it going? Good. How's your day? You know, just kind of winding down. What do you do on the daily? These days, a lot of... uh, I work as a screen technician at a screen printing place. Oh. What, exposing screens and such? Burning, exposing, coding, reclaiming the whole the whole nine yards. How long have you been doing that? Too too long, I think. Yeah, I've heard it's rather uh, it can be a very painful job for an artist. It can be it's it's more so that it's like maybe a little physically demanding occasionally. Like I'm in I'm in pretty good shape, but it's like a lot of chemicals, a lot of like yeah, mostly just kind of like I'm sure when I'm like 52, I'll be in you know I'll be at the doctor's office and he'll be like, "You have like 20 forms of cancer that we've never seen before." And I'll be like, because yeah. of, because of the emulsion, the emulsion, and then a lot of the screen like all the screen cleaning chemicals are are pretty like gnarly. Mm-mm-mm. It's like did you go to school for printmaking? I went to school uh, for better or worse for illustration. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting... uh, It isn't clear if it's for better or for worse. When I look back at going to school for illustration, I realized it taught me the intangible value of a solid process. I don't know if you feel that. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think I had... I, I mean, you could. there's so many intangibles that you could take away from it, but I think for me, I went in just like really wanting to just know how to draw. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if you go into printmaking, that's not really the the mission there. No, and I've met people who went to school for printmaking who uh, then went on to, like, do, like, artist printmaking. And, like, the stuff they learned was almost like learning, like, cabinetry or carpentry or something. It's, like, such a skill-oriented process that it's not so much even, like... It's almost separate from just being like, oh, I know how to like, you know, draw a face or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always found that there's no offense to the printmaking majors out there, but for some reason I found a lot less distinct styles in that department in my school, as well as in animation. Um, Yeah, yeah. There's just like, there's like a type of animation expected from animation majors that's... uh, so neutral and so uninspired in a lot of ways, at least in America. I know there's great schools in France for that. Yeah. My, my impression of like the printmaking and animation guys was the animation guys, honestly, both of them, when they'd have like their shows or exhibits or whatever, it just seemed like they're getting up to like the wackiest stuff. (laughs) 
It's like, what do you mean by wacky? Because it'd be like you'd go to like a printmaking show, and you're like, I don't even know how this classifies as like printmaking. You know, it's just like it's, there's sculptures involved or something. It just seemed like printmaking was like adjacent to painting, and the kind of like we're just here to kind of like have fun almost. I don't know. No, I hear you. I switched into. I majored in the end in painting after I got what I needed out of illustration. Basically. I didn't want to do target marketing because I don't think I philosophically even believe in that as like the way to develop your style. And so I went into painting and I just fucked around in, in bizarre ways that involves no painting whatsoever. And, uh, mm -hmm. I, I also realized like in the, the measurement of the two potentially most useless degrees illustration, there's no degree necessary. No one's ever going to look at your illustration degree. Maybe, you know, if I went back into academia, they would say, oh, you have a painting degree. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny, too, because I saw a job listing at my old school and uh, it was like I was like, oh, like, cool. Like, I remember there was like at school, there was like some real degenerates who were like who were involved in teaching there. And I was like, well, maybe I could get a job just like teaching illustration. Like, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I could teach color. Like, it'd be really fun. And then, and now I think the qualifications for, for teaching are, are like, you need to have an MFA, like in the mm -hmm. department that you're going to teach in and like no ifs, ands, or buts. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to grad school. I don't need that. Yeah. There is also that reality that people just become teachers at the school they went to uh, for BFA and or MFA. That's a bit much for me. I mean, I think it's cool. It's like a, you know, it's like a make work program for, for people That's who true. are like, you know, people are like on the edge and probably have some degree of talent. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to go down that hole of how good are teachers at art. Cause I think that's a pretty interesting question. I've also found it pretty interesting when schools just hire good artists to be teachers. Um, I wonder, like I never, you know, I didn't go to SVA. So, but that's the school that comes to mind in my head for illustration where they're just like, oh, this person's really good. Let's make them a teacher. Yeah, which I'm betting is 50-50. Is because, you know, to me, it's like artists are like athletes. It's like we have like a particular kind of brain damage that comes from doing one thing kind of in seclusion for so long <laughs> that I'm not sure it, it doesn't translate all the skill set, like the social skill sets necessary for like, teaching or kind of like breaking down a process or all that stuff. I think it's like, yeah, it's a little more. That's an interesting way to put it. You're talking about CTE caused by art practice. I mean, yeah. I, I've met a few artists where I'm like, yeah, I mean, you've like, you've done something that you've altered your brain chemistry in a way that, uh, you know, just there ain't probably noticeable on a, on a CAT scan. For me, it's the um, it's the total control that ruins you. The fact that you can throw this thing out if you don't like it. You can undo this aspect. You can kind of enter these worlds that you have hypothetical total control over. And then you have to step out into the real world where it's the complete opposite. I think this, <laughs> this can be a very difficult juxtaposition. Yeah, absolutely. And the the worlds that you're you have total control over 
they don't have like i think the one difference between like maybe an athlete or an artist is that when an artist has to make something they have to like transmogrify some degree of like their humanity or other people's humanity into something worth kind of like observing or looking at or experiencing uh but even 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 in that a lot of the skill like a lot of the um, time it takes to acquire the skills of like doing that ends up kind of being like an alien a very alienated process in, in my opinion where it doesn't you're not like bound to kind of like the tastes or perceptions of people who are just kind of like not buying in, I guess what you're selling. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very distinct from professional athletes. Uh, Sometimes I love sports. So sometimes I try to imagine what it feels like to play football and to have a whole stadium either for or against you. And, uh, it's probably amazing. There is no equivalent in art making. No, no, there's no, there's, I mean, you probably couldn't, you could probably, I'm trying to think of, if you had to imagine the most famous, successful, I mean, we don't even talk about illustrator. If you don't want illustrator, you couldn't even, you could probably barely, I mean, eh, sometimes they fill auditoriums, but you know, you couldn't fill a stadium with like the most, uh, the fan base or the audience of the most like popular artists in the world. At least that's how I feel. Oh no! I mean, who would it, like what cause Jeff Koons? Like, yeah, yeah, Jeff it's Koons. different. It's different. It's not. It's not. It's not music. No, you know, like why would I want to even hypothetically meet Damien Hirst? I don't know. I, I, but in verse, if I <laughs> if I heard Damien Hirst was gonna like sword fight Jeff Koons or something, I, I'd probably pay like thirty bucks for that. Yeah, but you're there for the swords and the the fighting more than. <laughs> Let's see what those guys are made out of. So, did you go to Micah? I went to the Rhode Island School of Design, where I'm now uh, still living. Oh, really? Yep. I've never been there. I hear it's a nice place. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, have you been? Have you been? Did you go to Micah? No, I know a lot of people went to Micah, and I respect Micah. I went to UArts, which is, in my opinion, beneath both RISD and Micah in, in illustration. <laughs> Well, it's all, I mean, it's all pretty, I mean, yeah, maybe, I don't know who might say, but have you been to Baltimore? Yep. Yeah. So I I would say that like (laughs) Providence is just like a smaller, in a lot of ways, just like a smaller Baltimore. So it's pretty cool. Is it dangerous? Like Baltimore? Um, no, no. I thought, yeah, my understanding was it's pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, I think it has it has the the virtues of being like a small city attached to like some, you know, like notable academic things. It has like you know, it has like a storied history, which is maybe a bit overblown. And then um, also, you're like ten minutes away from a beach during the summer, which is the best part, in my opinion. Well, so how long you been there? Uh, I took a two-year sabbatical in 2017 to, no, in 2016 to 2018 to Seattle, but I've been, since 2007, I've basically been living here. Wow. Yep. I had the opportunity to, to move to New York, and I went to visit apartments with some friends. I remember we went to go. And we looked at a few apartments, and I remember being like, man, this shit sucks. Like, these apartments look like crap. 
And then uh, we were standing outside of one of the apartments we were getting shown. And we there was like a Looney Tunes scene happened where like a car <laughs> pulled up and a guy gets out and he he's pulling this other guy out of the car. And he's like beating him with a baseball bat. And he's like literally saying like, you owe me fucking money. Like, and then like they, 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 they leave the guy who got hit out on the street and they just, they literally tires squeal off down. I couldn't even tell you where I was somewhere in Manhattan. And that didn't, you didn't want to live there because of that? Um, no. Cause I was already, I was already like so 50, 50. And I also had, had some kind of like obstinate adolescent beliefs and kind of like what it would mean to be an art, like moved to New York city to be an artist that I was like, you know, this all seems like a lot of hassle. Like, I don't need to get a beat up with a baseball bat. I don't need to like get on the subway just to go like 10 minutes down the road. I think Providence is fine. What were those beliefs? Um, I think I, I was kind of like always endeared by like the, like the um, K records guys from, you know, like the late nineties, early two thousands and some of like the indie rock people and some of the like his some of the like arts history of Providence that I had this like a belief that I kind of still have, but is probably BS, but that like there's a virtue I think in kind of um being being an artist outside of the social context of being an artist, if that makes sense. Um just like not going to New York to like make it my like i mean i wanted it to be my career but like not going to New York, make it my career and like you know uh network with people and and like make art like just only be friends with artists i had this idea of kind of like i i would develop my my passion and my art and kind of like some degree of seclusion and that would bring its own kind of um uh, i don't know it would highlight its own my own virtue I understand for, integrity yeah, yeah. It's like a certain suspicion of human nature, I think, that if you're around certain temptations, you might make the art for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I just thought it was like, it would just be like cooler. Like it would maybe like maybe <laughs> more mysterious or just like, I thought maybe the stuff I would make would be, you know, more detached from kind of like, um, like a scene and a particular aesthetic and that kind of stuff. No, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it is cooler in a sense, you know, it is, it's the sacrifice, right? Like I think some people can feel the same way you feel, but they have more of a careerist bend. So they're like, that's good and all, but ultimately I'm interested in the career path of an artist. And, and those people would be right. And they would be smarter than me. Smarter in some sense, maybe you're more romantic. I, I'm Which, yeah. defined by my high, my great capacity for romance. This is really that's what they say. I mean, I, when I when I did move to Seattle, I was it was because uh, I was I wanted to move. Well, I wanted to get out of Providence for a little bit, but I also was just like in a new relationship and wanted to go follow love. Yeah, I think I can guess how that worked out. It worked out fine. I mean, <laughs> had had, to, had a really weird time in Seattle, but the relationship was the relationship ended up being worth it. The rest of the crap didn't. 
Yeah, Seattle sounds like a really depressing place from what I've been told. Never been. In for so, like sounds three, tough though. For like three months, three or four months out of the year, it's like the most beautiful place I've ever been. But also the people there, I thought it was just me. Like I'm, you know, I'll like internalize some kind of. If I if something's going wrong, I'll try and internalize and try to learn a lesson from it. But I, I but apparently the people there are like very antisocial, and this was like a well known fact. And then when I like talked to my ex girlfriend about it, she was like, "Oh yeah, that like happened to me too." Like she was like, "I didn't make any friends," and I was like, "Oh, I thought it was just because I was like." so on and depressed or something do you have a like a solid social circle in uh rhode island yeah it was one of the reasons why one of the reasons why i moved back because it was just like i'm originally from upstate new york and it's relatively close um you know it's, it's not a six it's not like an eight hour plane ride so the idea was kind of like well i'll go back to where, like where my friends are and then uh be closer to like my family and kind of just go back to what I was doing basically. Uh, Were you making art through this whole process? Yeah. Yeah. And that was, um, that was like a, yeah. Yeah. And the, the methods and kind of like maybe kind of like career dilute career delusions or kind of career trajectory kind of, became more clear when I was in Seattle. Um, that was also part of the reason why I like, I think I had to like, yeah, why I had to like come back to Rhode Island. And you also have a musical aspect to your output, no? Yeah, I haven't done it in a while. And I don't really believe in like quitting. But for now, it's definitely kind of like a distant, distant priority, I would say. Which came first, art or music? Um, definitely art. Definitely art. From a young age? Yeah, pretty pretty much like day one. I think. Yeah, I was. My older brother was a big drawer, and I would spend a lot of time copying him. Kind of like, then he ended up doing. He ended up doing music. Really. Mm-hmm. He went to school for like music production. He doesn't he doesn't really do it anymore, but he was always like pretty competent musician. And so the music element you kind of left behind at the moment. Yeah, because uh, I had been I had done it. Well, I mean, I, I've I recently played in like a cover band here, but that's like the Co- covering what now? Uh, well, I had I had one good one, one bad one. Uh, the good one was I got to play drums in like a Cheryl Crow cover band. Um, okay, that was fun because I I think drums is like the thing I would if I was going to do just one thing in regards to music I think it would be just drums. But uh, and the other one I did was the Beastie Boys cover band, one of my least favorite bands of all time. The Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys, yes. Are one of your least favorite bands. Yeah, I, I I had to like listen to a few like a bunch of their songs to kind of like prep and like learn. Yeah. And man, I don't I don't really respect a single thing those guys were up to. Yeah, let's get into that. I've never heard 
it's not that I'm even dis- disagreeing per se, but it's it's always interesting to hear someone be critical of a thing that I think a lot of people is just like sacred or beyond criticism. So it's interesting that you ended up in a cover band. Is it through being in the cover band you learned that you disliked the Beastie Boys? Um, or you you knew beforehand? Yeah, I knew beforehand. Because I was put in this position where it's like, all right, Sam is going to like be in one band, like I had been asked. And it's like, my friend was like, well, we need to start another one. What do you want to do? And for like months, I was like, like literally months, I was waffling. I was like, oh, we could do Smashing Pumpkins. And I listened to Smashing Pumpkins. And I was like, I don't know if I could play these songs on guitar and sing. You know, there was a bunch. It was a 90s theme kind of like cover show for like a friend's birthday. Mm-hmm. So the conceit was it had to be from like 93 or 94, which is also like a terrible year for like popular music. Um, yeah. So then eventually I got put in the position of like, well, our other friend wants to do this and they want to do the BC boys and the decision got taken out of my hands. So I kind of just had to, had to go along with it. What is it? You think they're just goofy and cheesy and in a bad way? It's, it has something to do with like everything I feel like they, they did, you know, it's like just because you're first to market doesn't make you like the best, you know, it might make you memorable in some people's eyes, but like everything they did, we've kind of all innovated on sense. Like we've had white guys do sample heavy music, like Beck did cooler stuff and they did it with like the similar palette. Uh, you know, we've had chop, we've had choppy, uh, you know, sample music. Other people have done cooler and like more elegant and artful, or even funnier. And then they also were just kind of like uh, on the one whole other side of it. They were just like a very mediocre, like punk hardcore band. And there's like three million of those bands get get born every day that are probably more interesting. So I just don't have. I'm not. I don't see the vision with you know the Beastie mm-hmm. Boys. And what about Cheryl Crow? I mean, just beautiful songs, beautiful melody, <laughs> beautiful chords. I don't, yeah, I know very, you know, I know the hits, obviously. I could imagine that being fun to play. Yeah. And we also had, we also did like a slow jam off like the same album and then I discovered that like she has like a beautiful closing song on that album. I mean, a lot to, lot to learn to discover there. And it turns out she's got a, a deep, deep well of, of tunes. For sure. I see that you have a Twitter. I feel like I rarely interview people who have a Twitter. Oh, it's 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 an un, it's uh, an unfortunate part of my personality is that I deeply enjoy the perversion of Twitter. Well, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, well, I think I'm I, just I think people have always qual now nowadays because it's you know because of the Elon Musk takeover and this is all very bad, but because of you know the, just the state of things on the internet people always have to act like oh my god i hate twitter or i hate going on social media i hate all these things and i think that people are lying in public to save you know save themselves for the for the fact that we are all little sickos who enjoy being on social media and experiencing the like most brain damaged thoughts of strangers right is that how you feel about being on social media you you embrace it? Yeah, I'm not even. I don't even think that like my presence on social media is like particularly good or insightful. Like if if I had to like show a stranger my my tweets, 
I mean, most of it would be indecipherable to them, but they would not walk away being like, this is a smart, cool guy. But <laughs> I do think that it's like, you can't live it. You can't live with it. You can't live without it. So every day I got to go on Twitter and just have to like see, you know, see people talk about like the dumbest things. And I just have to, I, I truly get some kind of like, I don't know, some uh, joy, the humanity of it, as much as it's also just like grotesque at times. And what's the point? Like, I don't have a Twitter, but I never have. Um, Never had what? No, I'm like a second or third adapter of all Mm. things, like of all things except Tumblr, I feel. (laughs) And, And because I think I was early and genuinely connected to Tumblr. I was very fortunate to have an illustration career come of it and then comics get published, but I couldn't, I can't fake it. Like I, once that just fell apart, I was like, I don't want to build up another house of cards on social media. And like, I kind of half-heartedly, I have an Instagram that's just like not really a thing. Right. And from there, I think my really, I think Twitter probably came after that Tumblr fall. I don't really know. Um, around, the, around the same time, but yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah. I think I just got to an age where I was looking for ways to be financially stable without relying on, on the social media. And, uh, <laughs> Twitter is definitely interesting to me. But yeah, I never under. I'm kind of pragmatic in the sense of if I'm going to do a thing, I usually need to know why. So, Tumblr was to get illustration work and comics published. Mm-hmm. Twitter, I don't know why I would do it, so I didn't do it. But I'm curious. It sounds like you genuinely just enjoy saying things and then reading things on Twitter, right? Is that fair? Yes, it's more. Or, it's there's no more there's reading. No, okay, but there's no like goal. To the Twitter, um, no, I do like Twitter for sharing things, but I, you know, you know, it's like social media is just so ephemeral in the in the way that it kind of like will promote something that you've made or it won't. Like it's time of day, I, I really do kind of think of Instagram more as the the avenue for like me maintaining some kind of like kayfabe of like being a professional to some degree or or like. Or, or like relating or, or explicitly relating to like the outside world in like a way that isn't antisocial or for Twitter is purely for just like, you know, it, it quite literally probably has the same effect on like my brain as like if I just slam my head in the door and yeah, yeah. I enjoy, I enjoy that. I like enjoy, uh, I've always, I'm, I'm kind of this way with like, like coworkers and stuff where they'll just tell me, you know, you get these coworkers, and they'll just tell you like, like psych- psychotic stuff. They'll just be like, "Did you hear that? Like, they're teaching the kids over to be gay over at like the elementary school." And I'll just be like, "Wow, tell me more." Like, this, this is at the yeah. You want the you want to go deep into the freak? Yes, like, the, the fringe. Yeah. Yes, like tell like tell me how you got here. Like like because in some ways, like you are also detached from reality, and I have to like diagnose this mentally. Otherwise, maybe my own kind of like establishment or reality will start fading away a little bit. Are we talking about screen printing coworkers here? Yeah, yeah. A lot of lot that's, of cool guys. A lot of cool guys and gals. That's amazing. And screen printing. 
Yeah, it's an interesting world. I, I screen print sometimes, but it's kind of divorced from a commercial aim. So that makes it a little more tolerable. It's definitely a frustrating process, at least the way I do it. Um, it's the only noble, it's like the only noble way to do it is to like do it for like, like a poster or like, a, like your own t-shirt. I think the rest of it, everything I've ever done is like, I think it's one, I, it's truly the stupidest, it's like truly the stupidest industry I can possibly imagine. I think, I think I could work a hundred different jobs in a hundred different lifetimes and still be like screen printing is wasteful and stupid. So what would the, I mean, are you trying to get out of this or are you just, or are you, or you sounds like you might enjoy the slop being in the mud. I think that I like having like coworkers, like I like being around like regular, regular people. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know what that, that says about me, but, um, it's pretty I, normal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, th it's more so just like when, when things are good, you know, it's, it's like you go home and you, you forget about it and then you go back to like making art or whatever when things are bad, you're like driving home. It's like a 45 minute drive. And you're like, you're seeing like a car crash on the side of the highway and you get like a pang of jealousy. Cause you're like, I bet they don't have to go to work tomorrow. Like, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. If you're in envying a <laughs> car, it's not a bad car crash. You know, like you see a really bad one and you know, like existential, like nausea washes over you, but you, you know, you see like a fender bender or maybe the car's totaled. Like you're like, well, they probably have insurance. Like, but then you're like, well, I bet they get like a week off work. And like, that's probably pretty sick. Well, what's the escape? You got an escape planned or no? Uh, well, so before I was like, I was working a screen printing job and then I got a job working in animation. And that was like the single best job ever I had in my life. And then I was in talks to like maybe work on another show and an opportunity came and went. And then I was signed up to work on another show and then uh immediately after the strike the whole animation industry uh collapsed and the show got canceled this was a uh, tuca and bertie yeah yeah that was the one i that was the one i worked on and then it so i was uh, yeah you know it was like you're working on the show i had like a i really couldn't say i really can't say enough good things about my experience working on that show it was like being back in art school You'd have little meetings where people get to show what they made. Um, the work itself was like gen generally fun to do. The art director was amazing. Um, you know, so then it wraps up. Was that Allison? Yes, it was Allison. Yeah, I spoke to her, I think, a month ago. I had no idea you worked on that show. Yeah, I was, I mean, it was just so, I feel like I got picked out of the clear blue sky for no good reason but um i'm like when i get the opportunity to like work on a project like that i tend to kind of like turn it into kind of just like a little bit of like a personal jihad and, and like really um devote at least for like the first two weeks i remember that job i like devoted myself to it like 110 percent worked like 10 12 hours just to like make sure i knew what i was doing and i like i love doing that and I, for a second there, you know, I thought maybe the show would get picked up again or maybe I'd work with some of my other coworkers and I'd have a now, oh, I need to get a career in animation actually going here. Like, I love the work. I think I'm capable of it. But again, uh, 
man, this that whole this whole industry just like went right off the deep end. It seems in the past like six months. Yeah, that's what I've learned from interviewing a lot of animators. I didn't know that, but yeah, that's cool. It makes sense that that would be an enjoyable job. It sounds like Allison definitely cultivated a very open approach to that show as well. Yeah. And you know, it's like when I'm working on like my, my stuff every now and then it would be nice to have someone like, I always imagined that would be like kind of nice to be able to like look over my shoulder and ask someone like, what do you, what do you think? Is this, is this looking good? Is this looking right? But you don't have that. So you really have to just like develop your own judgments and you can just get stuck in the mud you know, for no good reason, for reasons that you can't quite understand. Well, then you get to work with like an art director and like knows what they're talking about. You get to like kind of like work on something. You're kind of like, well, this looks like shit, but I know that like I can hand this over to someone and they can tell me exactly kind of like what they think is wrong. And then you can just like point yourself like an arrow straight at that horizon, which is like way less stressful than me. Right. And have you, you do comics, right? Yeah, for better or worse. That's, that's, what, that's what I've been doing for the past, like, two or three years. And then what, in what form? So is there, a, I'm not sure I've ever seen a physical form of, of your comics. No, you there, has, there hasn't been a, a physical form. Um, I'm, I, maybe I'm too self-effacing or, like, too honest, but I started working on, like, a long-form comic and, like, I don't know, like right before the pandemic mm-hmm. and I was always like this will be a web comic or this will be online and then you kind of realize you don't know what's going into it but then you kind of realize there's like so many practical things that are so messed up about that like just comics are like impossible to kind of prom- I guess some people do it but just like an online only comic is like impossible to kind of like promote on the internet like you post you post on Instagram and it has like, you know, I can do like a little, uh, a color, a single color illustration and it'll get way less engagement than like, um, like a comic page or a comic panel. And there's like reason for this. One is that like, I knew starting out that the comics were going to be not as good technically or, you know, any, any degree as like color illustration or even color comics that I could do that I'm much stronger at that. And the second reason is that like the social media, it's just not, make this like a legible thing. So it's, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm kind of just like treating, I don't know, almost just like a meditation. Like I'm just, I'm just doing it and doing it and doing it. And now I'm getting to a point where I'm working on something where I'm like, okay, I think I want to get some friends to help me. Maybe like risograph like a few copies. May, like maybe I'll be more uh, conscientious about like sending it out to publishers and seeing if there's anything there. But again, if you're not like promoting it online or you don't have an online following that gets complicated. So I don't know. I've been doing comics. I love it, but it's, it is a little like, like the reason why I started doing comics was because I thought it was like a, or I believe that it's like narrative is a little more tangible and, and easily sociable. You know, you can show it to people and they can read it even if they can mm. quite understand or like, like the story. It's like way more direct than just like, you know, uh, a vaguely kind of narrative illustration or abstract painting, whatever. I wanted that connection to like uh, an audience, but right. the irony is that like it's 
the most singularly hard thing to kind of like show to a large audience in some way. Well, it certainly has difficulties. It's a very challenging medium. Yeah. In respect to your paintings, are they, I got to assume at this point, your illustrations are digital? Yeah. I first, for so, so long, up until like 2018, I was doing gouache paintings and that like, you want, I mean, you want, like that was, that ended up being so demoralizing after a period of time. Which, which aspect? You're trying to do illustration with gouache paintings? Well, I mean. Or just gouache. I No, I love gouache. And my hope is that, like, once the weather gets nicer, I kind of want to, like, do some, like, landscape painting or something. Like, actually do actual, like, gouache painting. Um, I have no problem with that. But it, it just became this, like, whole ordeal. Be, I, I, editorial well, always confounded me. Because you would get these deadlines for, like, I remember one time getting a deadline, like a, a crazy tight deadline, not crazy tight, but a relatively tight deadline for, like, uh, an illustration that was going to be from, it was, like, web only, and it was from the New Yorker archive. And I remember, you know, the email, and this was a great archive, I loved working with this guy, but you'd get an email, and they'd be like, we need sketches, you know, tomorrow night, and we need the final after that. And I would always just kind of be like, I don't think you need these sketches for like a week. Honestly, this is like an archive thing. That's going to go only be on the web. You could give me a little more time. And honestly, you could pay me the same amount of money. So I just, I was always bumping up against these like time constraints with gouache. Cause then you finish it and you have to scan it. I remember one time I did something and then I finished it, scanned it. I had to stay up all night. Cause I was also working a job, stayed up all night, scanned it, sent it in. And I didn't hear back from the art director for a little bit, which is always, you know, like, you know, that you're just going to get back the shittiest email if when they don't, mm -hmm. when they don't, you know, when they don't email right back, you know, that the next email you get is going to be some kind of like ordeal. And uh, she wanted me, the art director wanted me to change the entire dimensions of the piece that I had made. <laughs> and it's like, I made, I did this shit on paper. <laughs> I can't. I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't stretch and crop and you know skew the paper. It is what it is. You know what I mean. So just like so that you know stuff like that kept happening. I, I had to get on planes. I had to get on plane rides, and I was staying up all night painting. Like I would, I'd have, I'd have to scan it at like a really high DPI and scan like have it so it, it could scale down for web or something like that. And I'd be painting on these little paint, these little gouache paintings that were smaller than postcards. I got really good at it, but after a certain point in time, I was just like. I'm not proving anything to anyone. All I'm doing is just like shortening my lifespan. That's a really long answer. No, that's what I expected. You know, that's, that's kind of what I experienced in terms of, I mean, I would find it frustrating when I scanned in kind of neonish gouache for an illustration mm -hmm. and it would just, it's like, why did I do this? If I could just did it in the computer, then I could have actually gotten to that color a lot more, um, you know, closer to that color than what I'm experiencing with this scanning issue yep so when you're doing you know for instance a lot of stuff on your instagram or the fan art stuff am i to assume that's digital or do you still it's all digital now it's all digital oh it's all digital yeah yeah i um yeah well especially now that like i am pretty like committed or not committed but just like i'm the professional, like the professional side of what I do is like so feast or famine. I don't really know what direction to like 
you know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like always chasing my own tail in terms of like, oh, if I was going to be an artist that made money, like how would I do it? I'm not really sure. I've had some great, I had some really great opportunities to work with some great people. So it never made sense for me with the limited time I had outside of all these, like working a regular job to then like go back to a slower way of working, I guess. Yeah. Do you lament that? Or do you, you fully embrace the, the digital transition? Man, I think I, I think it's, I lament it for other, I meant I lament that other people don't get the opportunity to make the transition that I did. I think it was like deeply informative on how I think about making art, how I like look at art, how I value certain things in art. And do you mean starting off like physically painting something and then yes. transitioning? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's was very, very valuable. Um, and we're now in a like, sense, is it, is it accurate to say in a sense you're mimicking that, but you're just doing it more efficiently? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would, I would say so. I, um, yeah, there's, there's some things, there's some little tricks I do and, and stuff I do now where it's pretty explicitly, well, it's hard to say because like, to me, it feels explicitly digital, but it's always whatever this, the digital thing you're doing is, is mimicking something analog. But to me, I like, it looks a little more explicitly digital. That's kind of the idea. Yeah. I mean, to this day, I think I use all Photoshop layers like I'm setting up for a screen print at all times. And I don't even want to know how to do certain things more complex than that. Yeah. I just want I just want to mimic what I like to do physically, but to do it faster. Uh, and then comics is even more, I guess, obvious because it ends up being reproduced anyway. So... Uh, I do miss making physical comic pages and I might go back to it just because I have this weird vision of when I'm older and I want to be able to show my grandchildren yellowed pieces of paper and to prove I actually drew it because I think there's something disgusting to me about the fact that a lot of my drawings only happened digitally mm-hmm. and and the, the world is going to be so oversaturated with uh, quote-unquote digital art in the next hundred years, obviously, uh, that I feel like I just want to go back, even if it's going to take more time, and just, you know, draw on shitty paper again. And, yep. and, and ink and have it take forever and then try to use a shitty white pen to go over the black part and it barely works half the time. Like, I think, I think if I can find a way to do that without financial repercussion, you know, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's, that would be ideal in my opinion. Yeah. I, when I, I, when I was, when I was starting this like current comic project I was working on, the original impetus was like, Oh, I'll do it on paper. Like I had this, yeah, just like this allure to like this, like I, I, this happens a lot where I'll get kind of like trapped in this allure of like the materiality of something like, Oh, it has to be a painting and has to be on paper. But then when I'm thinking about kind of like, again, like comics, especially comics, especially it's like, I so clearly want to make when I'm, making like as clear and readable as possible as like good looking as possible as like simple as possible and then it just dawned on me like that like if i 
gave into this impulse of like working on paper, it would be counterintuitive to like my ultimate goals. So that's why I'm thinking like, if I do go back to like some kind of paper, like I, I know that inside me, there is like some landscape, like landscape painting, like on paper, medium size from photos from life. I know that there's, that's in me somewhere, but that's not the, this is not the, the point time where I'm doing it, I think. Yeah, no, I, I understand. But to, to me, the, the allure of materiality, I think it's just like, it's too much. Like sometimes like, it's like you, I want to work in a sketchbook and then I pull out a sketchbook and I'm drawing in it and I'm like, this kind of sucks just like a little bit, you know, like this is like, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it, yeah. What do you mean? In what way does it suck? Um, yeah, maybe it's because, maybe it's because right now I'm more focused on just like directly translating. It's like, I'm not so free form. I'm not like looking to, I'm not looking to, like really explore anything particularly abstract i'm looking for like the best way to simply render an object in like the most classic drawing way which is not something i'm even particularly good at and the best way for me to like figure that out is in a way where like you work digitally it's like you can undo a line and see how it changes like there's no like erasing messing up the paper there's no yeah, yeah. like stuff getting messed up or wasting a page or anything you can just do it in like one 500 by 800 pixel document and kind of like work out how you would draw something to, to like you the best of your ability i guess this the, the way it makes sense to me is like a lot of the material stuff like gets in the way of kind of like you it feels like it's going to be the end in itself and that in itself does not produce to me anything that's ever been like the favorite thing i've ever made yeah yeah i think some people see that interaction with the material as essential to their process but i don't think illustrators often do no definitely. because il illustrators are often very process driven and trying to arrive at like a designer almost trying to arrive at via iterations their platonic resolution to the thing yes and i think there's a way that i could engage with materiality and still make something cool and interesting but i'm not sure it's exactly what i'm looking for right now because like I'm looking for something almost like I'm practically want to make something like unartistic and materiality begs a lot of just like you have to be willing to engage with some stuff that I think is a little more abstract. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just actually yeah. um, speaking of platonic, I'd like you to speak about Hal's moving castle as being Invariably, I end up talking about Miyazaki about half the time I mean, on this podcast. I mean, why not? Yeah. He's the, the best. But as I'm scrolling through this Twitter of yours, I see... Humiliating. That... <laughs> uh, you know, this is very interesting to me. I'll read the beginning. I think Howells has come to be the platonic ideal of a Miyazaki movie. Yeah. You mind explaining that? Sounds Am I like explaining very, yourself? Sounds like I had a lucid <laughs> moment. Wow. Um, I think I think in that specific specifically, I'm I'm reacting to also this. I I think it's like some movie rating website directed at Zoomers or something, 
And, yeah, I don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and I think Howells was like really high up on the list. It might have been number one even. And number one? It might have been number as, one. Oh yeah, yeah. What the f- what? Which you know is not my personal estimation of uh, of the Miyazaki canon. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily think *House Moving Castle* is like his best singular best movie. Wow. Um, but I think in a way, it's my, I think in a way, once you escape like the Totoro or Ponyo end of the spectrum, it's like his most watchable movie. If that makes sense. Uh. Yeah, I, I guess if you suspend all sense of like pacing and resolution and you're just there for what you might call entertainment yeah that might be true that might be true yeah i i don't think it's there's some that weird middle section where they they go to i just rewatched it recently where they go to the castle and they got to climb up the stairs and it's like this brutal oh, yeah brutally long scene <laughs> just like the first time you see it it's like funny and then the second time you see it you're like god i remember this 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 shit kind of you know, for a guy who, you know, rarely misses, this is like a little bit of a miss. And then like the third time you watch it, you're like, holy crap, like I might even skip this. But <laughs> I do. There's something about that movie that is like it has it like if you were if you're just like someone who's just kind of like vaguely um, like vaguely ghibli pilled, you know, what I mean? like I was actually my sister-in-law was was like. Oh, I I don't I haven't seen House of Castle, but I've seen it from TikTok, and it's this scene where they're like cooking on the stove, and I'm like, yeah, that's House of Castle. That's like the perception of this movie of like, it's this it's it's like it doesn't have any of the kind of like deep complicate. I mean, he tried to go there, you know, he tried to go there with the Iraq War stuff. It doesn't really land, but um, it makes for some cool scenes. But it has kind of like all these Ghibli isms in this very kind of just like straight ahead way that people kind of like relate to the the like ghibli aesthetic it's it's cozy they make the cool food on the stove there's the funny talking flames there's like a love story you know what i mean there's no real deep psychology or violence the eco there's no ecological themes like nausicaa or um or mononoke there's no like deep inner conflict that he's grappling with like he is on the latest one or in uh, the wind rises it's just like all these collage of just like things that people regard as jubileisms in the, in the most like I platonically ideal way. It's like a very pretty movie. It's got some of the best animation. Um, yes, yeah, so that's kind of like how I, how I view that movie and kind of like the popular perception of it. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it. I've never heard the term Ghibli pilled. It's, it's I'm like just, I'm processing that. You you go on uh, YouTube and there's a lot of like playlists where it's like you know it's like the um, the flower bed scene from House and Castle and then it's like some lo-fi uh, hip hop music with uh, you know um, with like a uh, Joe Hazashi sample you know uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to me this is like to me this is Ghibli core this is Ghibli pilled it's like the most cozy elements the most like what some may perceive as like the most sentimental elements of the kind of like Miyazaki universe kind of like broken down and almost like Disney fied actually. Yeah. 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 Where would you rank Hal's if you had to amongst the 12 loosely speaking, not holding you to it? Probably, probably higher than most people would. I think 
That's cool. Um, That's telling. That's interesting. I don't think it's bad. I think it's I think it's actually a really fun fun movie, and it it might have this my single most favorite um, kind of like Joe Hisashi theme. Um, the merry-go-round of life, I think, might be one of my favorites. Maybe the Porcaroso one beats it out, but yeah, that 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 song really great. Might be might be fourth, maybe fourth in the list. Okay, yeah, right on. I, I I can defend that movie. You know, I know some people don't. They view it as like a weaker one, but like to me, you know, Castle in the Sky, not great. Totoro, uh, unless I'm watching it with my niece. Don't like it. Interesting. Great, great on the curve. Like that guy. You know, it's like even the ones that I don't quote unquote don't like. Oh, they're all great. Yeah, even the ones yeah, that yeah, I don't yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, you know, these this shit's better than like any movie that comes out in a given year. Of course, this is understood. Yeah, I do want to be clear and tell anyone. I, I it's like when I when when Boy and the Heron came out, and I would just read reviews from people. And, you know, they'd be so blasé. It's like, well, there were some nice scenes. The animation was pretty. And I was like, it's like the only time where I'm always, like, offended. I'm like, you don't even know what you're watching. Like, this might be the last time you get to see this. This is like, this ain't Spider-Verse. As much as, I mean, Spider-Verse is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I like I like Spider-Verse. But I'm just like, this ain't, you know, this ain't Spider-Verse. This is like, this guy's really going for it. He's making art as compromised as, as it is by kind of, like, being a movie and, and being animation and all that stuff and being part of a business. He's, you know, he is who he is. Yeah, me and my boy Neve threw down about that film. He he has it ranked as number one, at least from after watching it. You know, he and mm-hmm. I was very I was very critical of the film. Um, he, he was DMing me about it, and and I saw him. I actually I think it was on Twitter maybe or something, and posting about it. And I don't think it's number one, but I do think there was a there was a few moments in that movie that you know I'm not gonna lie. I think I cried a little bit, and I have not had that <laughs> out of a Ghibli movie. Interesting. I only, I only, I only teared up at the beginning of the film before it even technically started because I thought this is the the last time I get to see it. Oh yeah, Miyazaki film fresh. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to watch it more before I go deep into it. But I, yeah, I do find Howl's to be a fascinating film, and I think you can learn a lot from somebody about how they rank Miyazaki films. And and what they're looking for in a narrative, or even in storytelling in general, because I have Howl's at like eight, probably maybe seven out of twelve huh. in terms of uh, in terms of the order of things. Yeah, I gotta bring I gotta bring up the filmography here just to <laughs> just to remember. I mean. But it's it's really interesting. Like uh, here, I'll rattle off my current rankings for you, please. Mononoke, first film I saw, Glad to me the most complete in every way. It's basically perfect as a film. Uh, even the use of 3D, which was the first time he used it, and he kind of regretted. I think is well integrated. Yeah, looks sick. Um, I might change this one, but number two is Spirited Away. Although I feel that it drags in the second half. I'm not a huge fan of the second half of the film. I just think the first half's great. Castle Cagliostro. Wow, third. Very, yeah, crazy high. I have I have some I, opinions on the Cagliostro <laughs> kind of era, I'll say. I just think it's so pure and fun. And there's it, when you watch that film, there's like not even a 
three minutes of downtime. It's insane the pacing. Mm-hmm. Nausicaa. Yeah. I love that. I love this era. I love the music. I love the feel. It's actually one of my biggest uh, qualms with the boy and the heron. I don't like the feel of the film, and I think this 3D looks garish at times. Yeah. But that's Castle in the Sky. I actually really like. Wow. Um, you hate to see it. <laughs> this and then yeah, it's it's a controversial. It gets moved around a bit. I'll be honest, but Mononoke pretty much never moves. Uh, Ponyo's after that, which I think is underrated. Yeah, yeah. How can you hate? I mean, I can see how you could hate it, but also I went rewatched it recently, and I was like, damn, this, like the animation on that is insane. The squiggly scene is like one of the best scenes of animation. Yeah, yeah he really was ever like, done. He really was like no story, but we're really going to focus on just like how this shit looks. And I couldn't even tell you the story if I had to write it down for you. Yeah, yeah. If I had to go back, but I, but I don't have the same weird feeling of disappointment like I did at the end of Howl's because I felt Howl's was trying to have a story, and then like kind of didn't. Mm-hmm. But I, I go on Porco Rosso, which I think for people. This film can wildly fluctuate because if you like fun in airplanes and Miyazaki just being happy making what he's making, I think this film can be really high for people. But in general, like I screened it at the art center I run and it was like, I don't even know if five people showed up. Um, Then I have Hal's currently, again, I only watched Boy and the Heron once. So that's right under Hal's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Wind Rises at 10, but actually... That is a film that has recently started to make me emotional as I rewatched it. And so I could I could see that movie climbing. I really didn't when I saw it in theaters, I was kind of underwhelmed and I I think I walked out saying to myself, this is not what I and this is a very selfish way to view a film, but this is not what I want for Miyazaki. You know, I want more like fantasy yeah. crazy yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah. But I'm becoming more human now that I'm 35. I'm slowly, you know, becoming a human and i think watching that film uh as a human it it can it's quite moving uh and then the herzog cigarette guy is very interesting to me oh yeah just weird weird character um i don't know why but some people love kiki's kiki's is 11 for me i'm like he's the only one i've only seen once yeah i mean i'm i'm a dude and I can admit that I don't. I don't usually connect to like coming of age girl stories. Just not this age. Mm. No, I don't think at any age for me, it was it was clicking. But um, yeah, it's really not. I don't think I'm like subtle enough. Like I, I like, and this is why I really love some of the Boy and the Heron because it's pretty over the top in some ways and and dark. But um, yeah. Totoro is 12, but I think, like, it's a shame you mentioned watching it with your niece. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that movie is meant to be experienced with a child. I, I don't think I can access it quite. I don't think I'm quite innocent enough to access it as it's meant to be accessed. Yeah. Um, yep. But I, I think I'm greedy, too. I'm still just like, give me more cat bus. Give me, I need crazy. Yes shit yeah and uh he waits till he, he you get the through the whole movie and you're like oh yeah this like this cat with the, like, the fucked up looking whiskers like oh that's cool like there's a, a, a touching degree in, you know the relationship with the sisters and the missing mother and all that stuff like 
that as an adult, I think still speaks to me. But a lot of it is kind of like once you see that cab bus, you're like, man, we could have been doing this the entire movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why'd you wait till like last 10 minutes? I think, you know, again, it's about the subtle appreciation of rural Japan that's fading. But I actually like Palm Poco, not a Miyazaki film, for its exploration of that in a ridiculous way. I just think that I, the more I watch the film, the more I like that film. I think that film is actually pretty underrated. Have you seen Only Yesterday? No, I actually haven't seen it. If you liked the kind of like Palm Poco exploring like in uh totoro kind of exploring that only yesterday like explicitly in a much more like human like it's it's basically just like a drama like a like a like a early 20 something drama of like a uh, of like a young woman who like works in an office but then goes to like the countryside and works on a farm and she's not sure what she like wants to do with it. like beautiful beautiful movie i, I can only watch it once because i just was kind of like the Takahata movies, a lot of them are kind of like, man, you can only have, like, I didn't actually, to be fair, I haven't seen uh, Kaguya or My Neighbors, but the other ones he made are, you're kind of like, man, I can only watch these once because they are so, like, he he, he goes way more to the, the like, the, I guess, dark than, like, Miyazaki kind of hints, hints at, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, Takahata's fascinating, and I think I'll grow to appreciate him more over time. Kaguya is an incredible film, just insanely beautiful film. I'm ashamed, and ashamed to say I started it and couldn't finish it. It's shameful. Huh? I yeah, I, I it felt like um, this is going to sound so dismissive, but go, it, go it ahead. felt like a like a experimental like student film. Interesting. Like the way that That's it was just like you could have just told that story with with like a much more crystalline typical ghibli aesthetic and it would have worked again i didn't watch the rest of it so what do i know but it just felt like they i just was so distracted by the style of it i was just like this doesn't hmm. seems like so over the top for like this story it just like i guess yeah I, I couldn't get past the, the the way it looked it felt so like it felt so like i'm that's, so that's... cool and like here's my project exploring like this like very particular style of animation that i learned I think Takahata is like that, and that's his strength and his weakness. You know, my neighbor's mm-hmm. the Yamadas. It actually has some insanely beautiful moments, amazing animation. Um, and I think I relate to him more as a maker. His kind of propensity to be stylistically like each each project's kind of different. It's kind of trying to find its own language within it, where Miyazaki has his style. And the through line of his whole career is much more clear, I think. Uh, and I think that also allowed him to make better and more consistent films. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I would love to hear someone argue that Takahata actually has better films than Miyazaki, ultimately. I think if you're interested in emotion, it's probably probably would be true that Takahata accesses that more successfully. Yeah, he's... Um, he's I... Yeah, he's he's like one of the, he's this classic example of an artist that, like, I think you're right. And what's fascinating is the diversity, but also like the frustration is the 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 kind of diversity of kind of like aesthetic and and kind of even his like narrative like his narrative approach, very very diverse. Where it's just kind of like, I I, I like that that to me is almost like facile. It's like 
you could do the hard work like your colleague Ms. Miyazaki and stick to like the aesthetic and and focus in on kind of like what you really want to say like what the narrative is and like the relationships of all these characters and all the you know all the fun stuff that goes with that but instead you're getting hung up on making it look like a watercolor like you know i get a little <laughs> i get a little frustrated because this, it's like you, we all saw your other movies we know you have it in you what are you doing over here with this stuff but so you are you're, you respect it in a way because you're like when you see an artist just kind of like follow their like immediate kind of temptation it's you know, equally engaging, but it is kind of like, you know, I like the old stuff, play the hits a little bit. It's interesting because you said it, it isn't clear who says more or says more successfully, Miyazaki or Takahata. I think that's actually part of my issue with The Boy and the Heron. I think Miyazaki is trying to say too much in a certain way for me in that film. And he's doing, he's not doing it successfully. Um, yeah. Where like, like Mononoke is the ultimate example, I think, of a, how would you say? It's like this unbelievable exploration of the complexity of morality mm -hmm. in a way without being preachy or telly about anything. Yeah. He, show, he just shows you things very successfully. Yeah. I, I don't know why and I haven't figured it out. Again, I think watching a film once, especially any of these guys' films, is not... You have no right to really speak on on them. Yeah, uh, I'd agree. But something about the film came off. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine it's like, oh shit, this is my last film, and I need to like jam all this stuff that I need to get off my chest yep. into one film. And uh, it just, for me, got really jumbled and and ceased to be emotionally effective in moments where I thought it wanted to be. So I feel like I, I try to judge films based on what I think they're telling me I'm allowed to judge them on. Yeah, I mean, how else can and, and, Well, you can judge, I mean, people, I think people judge shit all the time just based on what they like or don't like or want from it. Just like I was saying with, uh, I think it's unfair for me to go into The Wind Rises and come out being like, why wasn't it more fantasy? Yeah, where's the cat yeah, like, well, that wasn't what he was doing. And, I mean, Takahata's dead, right? I think he died. Uh, yeah, he died uh, probably like 10 years ago or something like that around there. Yeah, I guess probably right after Kaguya. Yeah, that was, um, that was the last one that I recall. So, I, I, you know, I'm sure Miyazaki, I think, I think Miyazaki's a big fan of that film. And I think it took him something like 12 years. Although he's known, like I've read many books on Miyazaki, and Takahata is known for his uh, just like inability to, to do things on time. Yeah. Like films films and TV shows would just like go way beyond deadlines. Yeah. And then, so, another, another example where, you know, like not only are you now, okay, now you're changing up your style every movie and you can't just kind of like bear down on one on kind of one interest or, or, you know, the, the virtue of like the Miyazaki filmography is that like you watch all of them and you get a, like get a sense of like, uh, as much as they are, you know, they are products because he's doing like, you know, um, like the Nasuka manga is like this very clear singular that was by him. The rest of them are a little more compromised, but, um, no, I'm a little like get over yourself if you can't just kind of like make something on time. Especially if you're making like a movie, you know, 
uh, you know, maybe it's like anti art, anti art of me, but it, you know, it is a little like, uh, I just, you know, I feel like, I feel like the rest of us head down here in the trenches, you know, we're making illustrations, we're making comics or whatever. We're working for clients who want us to get it done tomorrow for $200. And, you know, they're giving you like $40 million and you can't get it done on time. I'm a little like, hey, you're giving us a bad name. Interesting. You know, so you're like a really, you have a, despite being a romantic, you have a strangely kind of efficient, pragmatic view as well. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an impossible combination of characteristics to deal with and live with. And yet (laughs) I do it every day. That's not uncommon in art making. You have to have kind of both of these things occurring no off and on and and i don't i don't don't think i've ever been like a really highfalutin like high philosophy kind of artist but i think as i've gotten older i just and especially because like you do log on to to instagram all day or social media whatever and you're inundated with so much art in like a passive way you're just like a whale kind of just like ingesting the krill it's like i do kind of want someone to kind of just like be honest with me about like their art and like make something that they're trying to like reach out and like grab me by the hand with. And that's, that's like what I'm like at my best, like that's what I'm trying to do. Like no more frilly abstraction, no more like subtext. Like I just want to make something that's like, you want to like, like read, you know what I mean? Like, like you want to read like, uh, like, I don't know, Jujutsu Kaisen or something. Like you want to read this, like you want like a teenager to read it. So, you know, when I, when I hear someone's like, hold up, making a movie for 12 years and they're over budget by like $40 million on some hands, the, the, the romantic, romantic in me is like respect. The guy who has to like live day to day is kind of like, I just want to see this shit, man. You're taking too long. You know, like I got to hear and, and now everyone's cutting costs everywhere else and you're, you get to hold up and do this. But I guess it's a privilege earned by being as talented as they are. Yeah. I mean, those dudes... Uh, there's a reason that Miyazaki respects Takahata and vice versa. Yeah. You know, like, um, that being said, is there a clear painting or comic that people should look at to understand the essential Sam? maybe like a year or two ago i mm. was like okay the these like long form kind of like um you know like uh shonen influenced kind of black and white comics aren't exactly popular on instagram and it's going to take me a while to get i always also feel another sense it's going to take me a while to get um pragmatically like practically good enough at them to to, to really feel confident you know, there's like a like when you're a musician, there's like a moment where you finally write a song that you feel comfortable sharing to other people because it doesn't feel like like a catastrophe for other people to hear the lyrics or the melodies or the earnestness. I feel that similarly about some of the comics I've made so far in the sense that like uh, I'm, I needed to have made them, but I, I don't think that they are speaking the language I'm trying to speak. Some of the color comics I made starting like a year or two ago, I think are like a good summation of like my talents and kind of like maybe a little bit of my sense of humor and kind of like the, the, you know, some kind of outlook maybe I have on the world. I think that those do a pretty good job of like distilling down 
you know, like a lot of things that I think I'm trying to like get at, I would say. And I, so, and I made them like for Instagram, like I made them to be, I think they would work well published. I have enough now maybe to start working on that, but they were made for like for Instagram that like the first slide was a color image. You'd be engaged. And then, then you'd want to keep swiping. It's like six panels, 10 panels. Okay. So that's what, yeah, I always like to ask people that, especially if someone's new to your work and oftentimes illustration can kind of scatter someone's output into kind of singular moments mm -hmm. that I like to ask what's like kind of the most vertical or deepest project one's worked on thus far because that's usually the most telling i'd like yeah i'd like to think that the color stuff like these color comics that i've made there's not i like i i haven't done them in a bit like i had to step away from them because i just my i just get like i don't know um i just get bored easily i guess um but they're like a thing that like i'm like if i make more of these the ones that i have done i'm like very happy with um those are the ones where i'm like you might get a sense of like the person behind them and you might get a sense of like a worldview and they're entertaining um you know that well so that sounds like the the way to go yeah it's it, unfortunately is like my my passions are so irregular um which has been like you know it's not worked out that that's been in the, the negative for me in a professional sense when you're trying to like freelance, you know, because you have to be very regularly posting. You have to like kind of always remind people you exist, um, which is not how like my process works. It takes a long time for me to like get an idea. I'm happy about working on an idea. I worked on so much stuff that I just haven't shown people. I have like 20, 30 pages of comics. I haven't shown people. I have unfinished stuff that I just don't show people because I just got bored or I just don't think it's up to snuff. Um, so you got a little Takahata in you. I do. It's just, it's just unfortunate because what I should do, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, what, what should I be doing? I should be starting a Patreon. I should be selling the color comics to people. I should be pitching publishers. I should, that should be the thing. I don't know if that'd even really like be financially viable. Like I think ultimately, you know, we're talking like 5,000 extra dollars a year, which is not nothing, but for the amount of effort, maybe not worth it. But I, there is a lot of that in me where it's just kind of like, but also part of it's not like no one's paying me. So, you know, for, you know, in the antagonism of that statement, mm -mm, you know, I see no mean. one's giving me $10 million. I have nothing to produce. So when I, you know, when I was working on Two Birdie, I never was the deadline. I made sure that shit was always done. I always made sure it was good because, hey, they were paying me. Right, right, right. That is quite different. I owe that uh, You mentioned. Right, right, right. There's kind of an obligation that comes with compensation. Yeah, and I take that. I think the compensation because those opportunities come so far, few and far between that I, I try and when I'm being compensated, represent myself to the best of my abilities, much to the detriment of uh, my health and mental health. Hey, that's being a professional. Sometimes I think I I think that sometimes you do have to give you do have to give a bit. I think it's okay sometimes to give a bit too much. I, I don't think it's advisable for people our age, but. Tell me, you got it. Well, I got to go to bed, but it's very good meeting you. Good meeting you, finally. And uh, yeah, I look forward to those comics being put out. I'd love to see the color and the black and white ones in a book together. God, that would—I mean—that would be the the dream come true. But this this one I'm working on now, 
Well, definitely, definitely. I've, I'm happy with most of it. We'll definitely get posted at some point, whether or not it's on as a one day PDF or whatever. Who knows? But you'll see it. It's pretty good. Um, and then the color ones, I mean, you know, these people, when you see those on Instagram, folks, smash the heart. Get, you got to smash the, You got to break the heart. Yeah. I want thousands of likes. I want hundreds of thousands of followers on Instagram. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Well, yeah, those look really good, Resograft, I think. Yeah, I, and that, that's the idea. And, and Bring them back to that grit. Bring them back to that materiality. Yeah, maybe rescan, Maybe do a rescan, too. Play with that. Oh, boy. That's the idea. Oh, boy. That's uh, the idea. I hear you. All right, man. All right, take it easy. Good night. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Ming Chen. Next up, we have Me Paints Me. Enjoy your week.